Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, worship team. Good morning, Crossview Church. It's good to have you here on this cold morning. Uh, I have a friend of mine who is a pastor in Naples, Florida. His name is Todd, and um, it's really tough duty to be serving in Naples, Florida. And I remember he came to visit once, and it was like kind of like today. It was like sub-zero. I think it was like minus 25. And I had a laugh. I still get this laugh when I think about it because he bought a coat a winter coat in the airport at O'Hare when he got here, and it was like all the way from his feet all the way up, and he looked like the kid in Christmas story, you know, and he got off the plane, and, and then I was driving him around, and he's like, so if I stand on that corner with no coat, and I just stand there, I'll eventually die? That's how cold it is? And I said, yeah, pretty much. And he's like, man, you're crazy. Why do you live here? That's, like, do people actually come out to church in that? And you are living testimony that people do, that they come out of church. And I said, yeah, they're just not as fragile as you, Naples boy. So, you know, we, we are a little hardier up here, so it's a good thing. It's, he said it was crazy. Speaking of crazy, when things get crazy, we go back to basics, right? When things get crazy, you go back to basics. Whether you are a military general or a coach or a doctor or a paramedic, or a law enforcement, or a parent, or a teacher, or a farmer, when there's things going on that you don't understand, you go back to the basics to figure out what's happening. And today we're going to go back to the basics of Christianity. We're going to go talk about God's Word, the Bible. And if you've been around Crossview Church any amount of time, you know that we talk a lot about the Bible. And you're probably like, what is it with the Bible and those people? You know, I've had people say that to me, that, you know, think about Crossviews, you're, you're too much talking about the Bible. And I said, guilty as charged. You know, that's perfect. That's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And so um, I want to talk about how this is the foundation for Christianity and how we're going to get back to basics. When things get crazy, in life, we go back to the basics. If you remember uh, the famous quote from the great Vince Lombardi, who was uh, coach of the Green Bay Packers, when the Packers weren't doing well, he gathered them all up and said, gentlemen, this is a football, right? He brought them back to basics, and that's what we're going to do as well. We're kicking off a series today I'm excited about. We're going to be in it for six weeks called Habits of Grace. If you think about, how do I grow as a Christian? How do I get to know God more? How do I get to become a better follower of Jesus Christ? The way you do it is through what we're going to call habits of grace. There's certain habits you do in your life that will help you grow closer to God. And this series is based off of a book I just finished that I love, I highly recommend, called Habits of Grace by David Mathis. And David Mathis identifies three areas. If you're looking for a book to help you grow in Christ this year, this is the book. Uh, I highly recommend it. The chapters are really short. It's a quick read. Uh, I really like it. Uh, But he says there's three areas, three habits of grace to help you grow closer to God. First is to hear God's voice. Hear God's voice, which is looking at the Bible. Then is to have his ear, to have God's ear, which is prayer. And third is to be in God's body, to be in his body, which is life in the church. And so what we're going to do is spend two weeks on each of these, So today and next week, we're going to be looking at hearing God's voice, which we're going to be talking about the Bible. Today, I'm going to kind of give a Bible basics overview of the Bible. And then next week, I'm going to look at how do we apply that to our life. Uh, Then the coming weeks, we'll look at prayer, and then we'll look at life in the church. And so the goal of all these things is to help us grow closer to God as we kick off 2019 and to establish these habits of grace in our lives that help us to do that. 
So I'm really, really excited. Today's going to be a little bit different than what I normally do. It's going to be more kind of teaching versus preaching, more instructive, but we got to go back to the basics every now and then, right? And we have to make sure that the foundation is set. And if you're ever wondering why Crossview is all about the Bible, today I promise you, you'll get it before we leave. So with that, if you have a Bible, I'd like to encourage you to open to a verse that talks about the Bible, and that's what Kathy read for us, 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you're new to the Bible, kind of go to the middle, start turning to the right, get into the New Testament, past Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, past Romans, Corinthians, you'll see First and Second Thessalonians, start to put the break on, and then you'll get to First and Second Timothy, and Second Timothy will be in chapter 3. And if you're using our Sanctuary Bible, I'll be on page 1056. 1056. So 2 Timothy 3, uh, I want to read 14 to 16. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete and equipped in every good work. So that's a verse about the Bible. It gives us so much, and we're going to look at that as we go here today. I want to answer four questions, four questions about the Bible this morning, four questions about the Bible, and they're very, very basic. Like I said, we're going to basic. So question number one, check out how basic this is. What is the Bible, right? What is the Bible? Now, you might say that's a silly question, but if I ask you what is the Bible, what would you say? You say, well, it's a book. And I say, okay, a book about what? Well, it's a book. It's a book, right? So that's our answer, right? So what is the Bible? The Bible, it is a book, but bigger than that, it's a collection of books, the Bible is a collection of books. In some ways, it's a mini library. And it has two parts to it, the Old Testament, which is in the front, and the New Testament, which is towards the back. And the Old Testament is the books uh, that are made up of Genesis all the way to Malachi. The New Testament uh, starts with Matthew and goes all the way to Revelation. And so uh, these books are there. The Old Testament is made up of things what we call the law, which is what God gave Moses. The prophets, the Psalms, these are things in the Old Testament. The New Testament is made up of the Gospels. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the book of Acts, which is like the history book of the early church. And then it gets into what's called the epistles or the letters that explain Christianity. And then it ends with a revelation, which is not plural, which most people say revelations. It's revelation, unplural. And that was a vision that God gave the apostle John uh, about the churches and the end times. And so this is what uh, the Bible is about. And if you think about the early church, the first church, so Jesus rises from the dead, he uh, makes his appearances, he ascends to heaven, and then the church is established. And, and at the beginning, they didn't have a Bible like we had. They had the Old Testament, but there was never a pastor to say, open your Bible, because they didn't have a Bible. And it was like that for a long time. And then in the 1500s, uh, what we call the Protestant Reformation, uh, men like Martin Luther and John Huss and uh, John Wycliffe and um, William Tyndale said that the Bible should be in the hands of the ordinary common person, not the priests. That everybody should be able to open up the Bible and read it for themselves and understand it and apply it to their life. And it was a huge, huge revelation. And this was a vision they had. 
And they put this vision forth, and then came the Gutenberg Press, where they were able to mass-produce the Bible. But you know what? Because the time this idea was so radical, the church really felt like, no, the, the Bible should be in the hands of the priests and the priests alone. And so these men, many paid their lives to give us this book. There were people who were burned at the stake as heretics because they worked to give the book in the common language. Uh, William Tyndale was one of them, and he said, it's my goal that the plowboy in the field would know the scripture more than the pope. That was his goal. And he, and he paid dearly. He was burned at the stake for it. This book that has been given to us has been paid by people's blood, and it's a gift and a treasure we have. And so it's a gift to us that we need to remember and, and uh, give our lives to in, ten, in the terms of sacrificing uh, our preferences to what this book says, because there's many people who uh, paid the ultimate price to give us this. In its original languages, it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and a little bit of Aramaic uh, that you see in the book of Daniel. And it was uh, written over a span of 1,500 years, uh, 40 different authors on three different continents, one common theme. That's amazing. That makes this book a miraculous book. Let me tell you what that's like. Think about the 70s. Do you remember the 70s? Even if you lived through the 70s and you remember the 70s, that's an accomplishment, right? So uh, some of you will get that later. So if you think about the 70s, how did we talk? Everything was groovy, right? It was like far out. And Remember what we wore? Uh, people wore it. I remember I had this awesome white belt that had the two holes with the two buckle things in it. And you had bell bottoms and uh, big collared shirts, right? Remember what fashion was like and what language was like? That was just 40 years ago. Has a lot changed in 40 years? You bet. Massive changes, right? Now let's go back further. None of us were there, but think about what the, imagine what the world was like in 1776 when the United States was formed. You had, you know, men were wearing wigs. You'd use language like thee and thou and all this type of language. That's just, you know, 300 years. Has the world changed a lot in 300 years? Absolutely. Now think about 1,500 years, all the changes, one common theme. I mean, that's incredible. It's incredible what the Bible is. The Bible is ultimately a book about Jesus Christ. From cover to cover, it's a book about Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, if you're reading the Bible and you get lost and you're like, what is this all about? Look for Jesus and it brings you back to center because that's what the Bible is about. In the Old Testament, Jesus was predicted. In the Gospels, Jesus is revealed. In the book of Acts, Jesus is preached. In the epistles, Jesus is explained. And in Revelation, Jesus is expected in coming back. The whole book of the Bible is a book about Jesus Christ and about what he is about. And so if you're getting confused, look for Jesus and he brings you back to center. Not only is it a book about Jesus, it's also a book about you and I. It's a book about us. See, this book is about us. When you start to understand the Bible, it starts to understand you. When you start to read the Bible, it starts to read you. It freaks you out. It's a crazy thing. Many of you have come to me and you have said, man, you've been watching me this week because when you got up and started talking, you started talking all about me. You know what? I'm not that good. All right? It had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with this book and the author of this book, God, and the Holy Spirit and what he's doing in your life. And so when you come here and you hear things that you resonate with, it's because this book is a gift from God that he wrote, that he put in our hands to shape us and mold us. So when you give your life to it and you come and hear sermons about it, it is going to infect you. It is going to change you. It's going to hit you. 
because that's what it's intended to do. The book's intended to read you as you read it. It's living and active. That's what it says about itself. It's like no other book out there. It's an amazing book. Many of you have come and said, you know, one of the things that I've noticed about Crossview Church is that I like it because you make the Bible relevant. And I always try to correct right away and say, no, 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 no. The Bible is relevant. We don't make the Bible relevant. We don't have to make the Bible relevant. The Bible is relevant for today because God wrote it knowing that we'd be reading it today and it'd be applying today. And it's amazing how much of this book applies to today. So the Bible is a relevant book. That's what the Bible is. It's a collection of books. Number two, who wrote the Bible? Who wrote the Bible? Did God write the Bible or did humans write the Bible? The answer is yes. All right, God wrote the Bible and human authors. It's almost like a dual authorship. In a sense, the Bible is written by God, but it's also written by humans. Look at uh, verse 16 in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Very first words, all scripture is inspired by God. That word inspired means breathed out, spoken, kind of like when the wind goes over your uh, voice box and you begin to say intelligent words, if some of you say intelligent words, some of you, anyway. And so when that happens, it's spoken, right? It's breathed out, and that's what God did in this book. He, it's breathed out from God, all right? And so there's an element to this that God is the author of Scripture. And I love that because what God did, because we know God is the author of Scripture, the Bible is reliable. It's authoritative. Because God was working through the human authors, and he is keeping them on track so that the original letters they wrote were without any error in them. So he kept it so it could be authoritative. He kept it so it could be reliable. God wrote the Bible, but he also used human beings to write it. He used human authors from all different walks of life, from all different occupations, all different places, like we said, different locations. And he used them in their personalities, in their traits, in their times, in their issues that they were dealing with with life, in all their weird little quirks like we all have. He used them, and you see the personality of the human authors coming out in this as well as you see God's hand. And I love it. And he used them as they were in their time. It wasn't like the Bible originated with them. They didn't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to write the Bible this morning. It's not how it worked. It also didn't work like they didn't, it wasn't like they got into this like trance where all of a sudden, in the beginning was the word and the word was, it, it didn't happen like that at all. They wrote to the common things of their day and God used their personality, he used their traits, he used who they were and brought out the Bible that we have. God guided them and chose them and kept them from error. Humans wrote the Bible not violating their personality and God wrote it to make sure it wouldn't be distorted. All right, humans wrote it, not violating the personality, and God wrote it to make sure it wouldn't be distorted. The best verse that describes this process is in 2 Peter 1.21. I'm going to put it on the screen here. They're going to put it on the screen for you here. It says, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That word carried along, if you look at Acts 27, Paul gets on a ship. And he says that the winds carried us along. It's the same exact word. And it's kind of like this idea that human beings, when they wrote the book, they put the sail up on the boat, and then God filled the sail with his wind. And that's how the Bible was written. It was this companionship of human author putting up the sail, God filling them and bringing them along. You got it? So 
It's both. And you see in the Bible both God and human personality. And I love that. If you look at the book of Jeremiah, you see that Jeremiah is this weeping prophet. He cries a lot. He's a broken man, desperate to see people come to God. If you look at the book of Hosea, Hosea is known as the tender prophet, the loving prophet. He has this big heart for people as he gives the prophecy. If you look at Amos, Amos has an edge to him. He's kind of like the in-your-face guy, like, who dare you think, how dare you say you're a Christian and live like that? That's kind of Amos. And then you look at Ezekiel. Ezekiel's just a weird dude. You read Ezekiel, and it's like, man, this is weird. I mean, he was just weird, but we got to love him, right? He's there. And then in the New Testament, same thing. You look at Peter, who said, I'll never, ever deny you. And then he denies you and fails. And Peter's the apostle of hope, right? He gives us hope, saying that there's hope for me because I blow it all the time and God will always take me back. And you see John, the apostle of love, and you see these, the people who wrote the Bible, you see their personalities come out in the scripture, and this comes on hand in hand. Sometimes you may even pick up on it. I struggle up here with my words sometimes because I'll say, let's say we're learning in 2 Timothy, and I'll say, Paul, who wrote this, I'll say, so, so Paul or God, um, Paul, God said, or Paul said, or God said, and the answer is yes, right? They both wrote this book. So it's this human author plus God. A theologian named B.B. Warfield said this. He said, if God wants to write a series of books like Paul wrote, he creates a Paul to write them, and then Paul begins and completes that task. You see, so you see both is going on, both God and man. Just a clarification, uh, the church did not write the Bible. The apostles and the prophets wrote the Bible. The church affirmed these writings, so they had this criteria. The early church decided how we'd get the Bible that we have today. It was placed in what was called the canon of Scripture. And so the early church had criteria for what books would get in and what books wouldn't. And some of the criteria were that it had to be written by an apostle or approved by an apostle. Uh, and so you had to be part of the Old Testament was in there. They already had the law, so that was going to be put in there. And it had a square with that. So they had this criteria of how they would come up with what would be the books that we'd have in our Bible. And it was called the canon. And so the early church put this together, and it was completed and finished. Now, usually in our membership class, and a lot of this material get from the membership class that we do here at Crossview, uh, also different theologians that I'm pulling from, like Wayne Grudem, Alistair Begg, and other people have helped me with this sermon. Um, but if you, uh, usually when I get to this spot in the membership class, I talk about the canon and how it's put together. One of the first questions that come up is, what about the books in the Catholic Church that aren't in our books, our Bible? And it's called the Apocrypha. What about the, the books of the Apocrypha that the, is in the Roman Catholic Church that is not in the Protestant Bible? What's the story with that? Well, here's the story. When the church founded what was called the canon, they closed it and they said, these are the books that we're going to use that will be in the Bible. Later, about 40 to 160, somewhere in their years later, people found what was called the hidden books. That's what Apocrypha means, hidden books. And they said, hey, we found some more books that should be in there. And the church looked at it and they said, no, they're not as authoritative. The Bible canon has been completed. This is what it will be. And in the Protestant Reformation, as I talked about, when they, those guys decided that they, the people, the men and women decided that people should have the book of the Bible in their hands and they uh, started printing the Bible, it, the whole topic came up again. What about the Apocrypha? Should we put that in there or not? And Martin Luther and many other people looked and said, no, they're not authoritative. We're going with the original canon that was put together in the first place, and that will be the Bible of the Protestant churches. In 1545, the Catholic Church had a big council. 
There's a lot of councils that made a lot of decisions in the church history. In 1545, in the Council of Trent, the Roman Catholic Church was correcting the Reformation. They felt like the Reformation went a little too far, so they had the Counter-Reformation. And as part of the Counter-Reformation, they were trying to push back on this Reformation, and so they said, we're going to take the Apocrypha as part of the Counter-Reformation, include them in a Bible, and so from 1545 in the Roman Catholic Church, the Apocrypha was put into the Bible. So that's the story of the Apocrypha in a real crude, quick way. Some people still look for hidden, letter, hidden letters today, don't they? Some people look at this book and they try to overanalyze it and look for this meaning that's kind of hidden. There's all these thoughts about it. There's this hidden meaning in the Bible, and that's not true. We have to be careful. The Bible is, the message of the Bible is plain, it's simple, it's there, it's not hidden. And we can't read too much into that or we begin to kind of read things into the Bible that isn't there. Or we begin to take things and we think like we have to change it now, like it doesn't apply. So what was written about human sexuality back when this was written doesn't apply in 2019. That's not the case. That's not true. Now we have to take the culture of our day and the Bible and wrestle with interpretation and how do we apply that. And that's all good stuff that we need to do. But we don't just jettison plain commands and teaching because it doesn't mesh well with our culture and what we like. We don't have the right to do that. The Bible's authoritative. And we as people submit to it versus we trying to change what it versus trying to change what it says. Now we wrestle, as I said, but we take the plain meaning of this and we it stands firm. You see, we have this idea sometimes that people in the past, they're not as sophisticated as we are. They weren't as intelligent as we are. They weren't as enlightened as we are. And none of that could be further from the truth. The people who interpreted Scripture and put the Bible together and gave it to us were extremely gifted and intelligent people. And so we have to honor and trust what God has given us to the Bible to say this is God's word for us. To put it plainly, the principle is this. In the Bible, God was speaking and is speaking to us in our generation. If you want to know God, read the Bible. If you want to know what God is saying to you, read the Bible. If you, want to, if you think God is like a message for you, the answer is he does. If you want to know what that message is, read the Bible. The Bible is God's voice to us, speaking to us, and we have to be careful when we do it. But we can dive into it fully. You know, sometimes people come up and say, hey, God told me this. God told me that. And they throw that out there. And, and I believe God can speak through people and different people. I, I think that's valid. However, we have to be careful that anything is spoken through to a person has to line up with God's word or else God didn't say that. I get nervous if people come up to me and say, hey, God told me this, but I know it's a person that has never cracked the Bible once. I am very open if someone came and said, hey, I think God's telling me this, and I know this person dedicates hours and hours of their life to knowing this book. I trust that. You see, we have to be careful that Everything we think about God and how we react about God and what we speak for God originates here. This is the standard. This is what he has laid out for us. This is why it's the basic of Christianity. This is why when we come to Crossview Church, we talk about the Bible and not just human wisdom. That's what a sermon is. A sermon is to explain to you what the Bible says and how to apply it. A sermon isn't for you to come and hear human wisdom from some joker up here who's going to try to tell you things from their own life. No, this whole time, this pulpit is to interpret and give you this book 
because this is what you need for life because we live in a crazy world. And when life gets crazy, we go back to the basics. And if you're not going to get that in a church, where are you going to get that? Right? So this is, has to all be about that. The role of a preacher is to be a herald. Back in the days of history, you know what a herald was? They took a message from the king and they went out and declared it to the kingdom because they didn't have iPhones and email and chat, uh, snap and all that stuff, right? I know it's Snapchat, by the way. Um, just trying to be funny. So they, they, didn't, they didn't have all the communication stuff that we have. So what they did is the king would say, here's the message, and the herald would go out and would declare the message. But you know what? If the herald changed the message or if the herald added to it or took away from it, they were put to death. The role of the herald was just to take the message of the king and proclaim it. That's what a preacher is supposed to do up here, to take this message of the king and proclaim it. I don't care if you like it or not. I'm just going to tell you what it says. And then it's up to you and God to deal with that. See, that's what this is about, and that's why we high value the Bible and look have such a high view of it here at Crossview Church. So the, what is the Bible? It's a collection of books. Who wrote it? God and humans. Number three, what do we do with the Bible? What do we do with the Bible? By the way, do you guys like the slides? Yeah, see, there's all of you visual learners said, yes, amen, he finally got the slides. See, I'm not a visual learner, I'm an auditory, and you're like, yeah, I know. And so when people wanted slides, I went, eh. And so, but Ryan, Pastor Ryan, is kind of the advocate for the visual learner. And he said, no, we've got to get you some slides. And so he's put slides up. So don't thank me. Thank Pastor Ryan. Uh, it's all on him, and he's done an awesome job. So thank you, Ryan, for giving visual learner slides. So there you go. So what do we do with the Bible? That's a really good question. We understand and apply it. We understand and apply it. The Bible doesn't have a hidden meaning, like I said. You can read it and get the plain meaning of what it says right away. You don't have to look through and try to figure it all out. I'm going to talk about knowing the context a little bit later. But what it says plainly, you can read and grab plainly. It's not like this mysterious hidden message in here, uh, kind of like the Da Vinci Code or anything like that. It's, it's a plain. It's right there. What you take is what you uh, can grab away with. I remember... Um, some of you know me better than others, but those that know me well know I like to goof around sometimes, or a lot. I like to have fun. And I remember when I was a youth pastor and I came to Woodlands Church in 2000, and uh, my friend Brian Berg, the senior pastor there, he's the guy who taught me how to preach. Brian taught me uh, how to take this book and go from this book, figure out what it says, get the actual meaning, put it in a context where people can understand it, put it in a framework, put together some illustrations around it, and then get up and preach the message. He walked me through this whole process, and, he, and I'll, I'll forever be in his debt for teaching me how to preach. I really appreciate Brian Berg for that. I actually learned from Brian Berg more so than seminary on how to preach. But I remember in those early days when he was teaching me to preach, and he was crazy enough to let me preach at Woodlands Church in those early times, and uh, he'd come in the week before the Sunday I was supposed to preach, and he'd knock on my door, and I could tell he's a little nervous, you know, he's giving up the pulpit to this guy who's kind of crazy and likes to goof around, and, and he says, so how's the sermon coming? And so I, his prime opportunity to take advantage of that and have fun with him, right? So I said, oh, it's going awesome. I go, you just wait. I found something in the Bible no one has ever seen before, and I'm going to share it on Sunday. And I could see him, like, start shaking. Well, what are you going to talk about? What are you going to talk about? Let me see what you're going to talk about, right? See, that's the thing. 
there isn't like this new thing that no one has seen before that I'm going to pull. If it hasn't been seen in 2,000 years, it's not there. All right? You don't come to the Bible to discover some new thing that isn't there. You come to the Bible to see what it plainly says, and then you apply it to your life. All right? It's not like this hidden thing that all of a sudden there's a special person that pulls this message out that no one's ever seen before. That's not what it is. It's not that you discover or create truth. You discover what's there. And it's a plain message that anybody can take. And we have to be careful. And we have life groups here at Crossview Church where you gather at a home and you get with a group of people and you're around the Bible and you read it. But here's what you have to be careful about in life group. You never want to do this in life group. And if I call out some of your life groups, like, hey, we do that every week, then you'll be like, hmm. But here's what you have to be careful with in life group. You don't want to say, okay, we're going to read this verse. And then you read the verse and you say, now we're going to go around and say what that means to you. What does that mean to you, John? And John says, well, to me it means this. Okay, what does that mean to you, Sally? Well, to me it means this. And then you've gone around and you have seven to ten different meanings of that one verse. No, there was only one meaning to that verse. The original author had an intent and he wrote that meaning of that verse. Now that verse can be applied in many different ways to your life, but that's a different way of asking the question. Then you ask the question, how does this verse apply to you? Now you can share freely, but the meaning is the same. There's one meaning, like there's one diamond. But as you look at the diamond and you turn it, you can see different aspects. That's why you can read the Bible for 20, 30, 40 years and still get something out of it that you're like, wow, I never saw that before. It doesn't mean the meaning wasn't there. It just means how it's applying to your place in life right now is different. And that's the beautiful thing about the Bible and how it reads you. But there is only one meaning. It's not like we have seven different meanings to one verse. And so we have to be careful when we look at the Bible that we take it for what it is. We need to look at the Bible as a whole. It's a whole book. So if you're in Leviticus and you're like struggling, you're looking, man, he's so detailed about how this little thread has to be like this and why is he getting like that? Step back and say, wow, God is all about details, isn't he? Because it's holy and he's perfect and he wants to make sure it's his representation of himself is done right. And so you can look at it as you take a step back. We have to be careful. There's no secret meaning. There's no hidden prophecy. There's nothing in here. I remember when I became a Christian, one of the popular books in the Christian bookstores was called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Going to Come Back in 1988. It didn't happen, right? He had 88 reasons, but they all were wrong. It didn't happen. So there's no hidden agenda here. You read the Bible plainly, and it reads you. And so it's important to do that. So what do we do with the Bible? We understand and apply it. And finally, number four, how do I interpret the Bible correctly? How do I interpret the Bible correctly? Do I just go and ask my pastor? No, that brings us back to before the Reformation, right? You, as the common, ordinary person, can understand the Bible. You don't need a pastor. I encourage you to do this. And so I'm going to walk through four ways, this is our application, four ways to interpret the Bible correctly for yourself. All right, four basic principles on how to interpret the Bible. First of all, number one, you have to learn what was going on in the original letter. Learn what was going on in the original letter. How do I do that? You get a a study Bible. There's these things called study Bibles. You can get them on Amazon or a Christian bookstore, Christian book distributors or a Christian bookstore. I recommend study Bibles highly. They're so helpful for you. They're a great tool for you. Before every book, they'll tell you all about what was going on in that time, why it was written, who wrote it, why they wrote it, what was going on in the culture. And you have to learn what was going on in the original letter before you apply it to yourself. 
You have to go through the town of Corinth as you're reading 1 Corinthians before you'd bring it to 2019 Wisconsin Rapids. If you open the Bible and read it and then you jump to 2019, you can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. But that's not how we interpret it correctly. To interpret it correctly, you have to know what was going on in the original time and place and what the author was getting at. And so you learn that through the study Bible, and then when you have that, now you can apply it to 2019 Wisconsin Rapids, and you're able to apply it in the right way. So you have to learn what's going on in the original letter. Number two, you have to pay attention to the literary form. You have to pay attention to the literary form. The Bible has different parts of literature. There's poems, there's poetry, there's parable, there's narrative story, there's history. That's the book of Acts, it's history. There's prophecy. There's all these different forms, and you have to understand what form you're reading. Some, for example, Isaiah 55, 12 says, The trees of the field will clap their hands. Now, do trees have hands that clap? No, of course not. It's a metaphor. Now, some people say, no, I read the Bible literally, so I know there's a tree out there somewhere that has hands and is clapping. No, that's not reading the Bible literally. That's reading cut and paste. To read the Bible literally, you have to understand the form that it's in. First Chronicles, or Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord go to and fro around the whole earth to see whose hearts are truly his. Beautiful verse, right? But are these two cosmic eyes somewhere up in space looking across the whole earth? No, it's a metaphor saying that God knows all things, right? So you have to understand the metaphor and love the beauty of the metaphor, but when you interpret, you need to know what you're interpreting. Again, Bible stu- or study Bibles are perfect for this kind of thing. Number three, we let Scripture interpret Scripture. We let Scripture interpret Scripture. Uh, the Bible is a whole unit. There's a harmony to the Bible. There's a unity to the Bible. And to and look at what Scripture is saying, we have to look at the whole passage of what the Bible says. And if we're going to interpret it, we need to know that. Where does this fit in as a whole? I'm going to give you an example. Uh, in 1 Peter 3.21, you don't need to turn there, uh, but it says this. 1 Peter 3.21, it says, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but of a pledge towards good conscience towards God. So people read that and sometimes they see you're saved through baptism. That's how you get saved from the penalty of your sins. It says right there, baptism saves you. But now you can't just bank on that one verse because if that's true, that means we have to throw away the book of Romans. It means we've got to throw away most of the Gospels. That means we've got to throw away most of the preaching and teaching that happened in Acts. That means we've got to throw away the book of Galatians because so many times in those other places it talks about the way you are saved is by surrendering your, yourself to Christ in believing and repenting, and then you turn your heart towards God. That's how you're saved. What this verse in Peter is saying is that baptism is a proclamation of the internal work that already happened when you are saved. See, you can't you just pull one verse out and build a whole theology on it. You have to know what the whole Bible says about that topic, or else you can get into trouble. Trouble. So that's why we let Scripture interpret Scripture. It's also important for us to know the purpose of the Bible. In our verse that we looked at here in 2 Timothy 3, uh, in verse 15, it says, And from infancy you know the sacred scriptures, and here's the purpose of the Bible, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith. It's saying, so you will know the way that you come into relationship with God. The purpose of the scripture is to help you know how to come into relationship with God. That's its primary purpose. 
Now, people get in trouble when they try to make the Bible a science book. Does the Bible say things about science? Absolutely. But is it primarily a science book? No. But that's why they try to make the Bible a history book. Now, does the Bible say things about history? Absolutely. There's a lot of historical things in the Bible. But is it primarily a history book? No. Its primary purpose is to show you the way so that you may walk in a relationship with God that will last forever. That's the purpose of the Bible. And so we have to understand the overall purpose, even though there's things in here that will share different things. That's why it confuses or clears up a lot of confusion about all the contradictions in the Bible. I hope you woke up. There is no contradictions in the Bible, but people think there are. And so people will say, how come Paul says that it's all about grace and all I have to do is believe and accept God and it's all about grace and that's how I get saved. But then James says, no, it's all about works, that you have to show by your actions that you are saved. Well, you have to understand the purpose of those letters. When James was writing, he was writing to a group of people who said, you know what, I don't need to behave differently. I don't need to get into my life and share my faith in the world. I can just sit in my room, close the door, and believe, and I'm saved. And James was saying, hey, you better be careful. You show me a faith that doesn't have any action to it, and I'll say that you don't have faith. And then Paul had the opposite problem. He had a group of people who say, it doesn't matter what I believe. As long as I just do a bunch of good things, I get points in heaven, then God will let me come in. And he said, no, 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 you don't understand. It's not about that. It's about what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and you believing and resting in that. So you have to understand what the author was writing to and what was the problem going on. Finally, number four, the fourth way we interpret Scripture is that we submit to the Holy Spirit. None of us have true understanding that is pure and natural. Human beings, because of our sinful condition, cannot understand everything perfectly. That's why we ask for the Holy Spirit to come and we illuminate, he, to ask him to illuminate the scriptures to us, help us understand what the Bible is saying. It's called, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in our statement of faith says that he illuminates. He takes the things of scripture and makes it plain to us that we understand them. The role of the Holy Spirit is to help us get to know this book, to have a hunger for it. That's why when we read it, and we should be praying, God, help me understand what this book says, because there's some things in this book that's hard to understand. It's not always an easy book to read. The message is plain, but sometimes it's tough to wrap our minds around. We've got to read it a couple times, and then you say, God, Holy Spirit, help me understand this. And he brings about that ability. It's a supernatural book written by God and man to uh, open our eyes so we know how to live. The Bible is a collection of books written by God and humans to be understood rightly and applied to our lives. There's a, one of my heroes of the past is a preacher named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I quote him a lot, but one of my favorite stories that Charles Spurgeon said is he had a student come up to him and said, Dr. Spurgeon, how do I defend the Bible? How do I defend the Bible? See, even back in the 1600s, people were trying to say the Bible is not what it is. And he said, how do I defend the Bible? And Charles Spurgeon said, oh, that's easy. You defend the Bible like you defend a lion. You just let it out of its cage. It'll defend itself, right? You don't have to defend a lion. A lion defends itself. When you take this book and you start reading it, and if there's people who say, I don't believe the Bible is what you say it is, I say, well, read it. Just start reading it. And all of a sudden they realize as they start reading this book, this book starts reading them. And then this Bible begins to defend itself like that lion because it changes us and transforms us and it brings about and shows us how much God loves us and it shows us how much he cares about us and how he wants us to be in relationship with him. This is an 
amazing book. And next week when we look at it, I'm going to look at how do you apply it to your life in a way that brings life. So with that, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift that it is. We thank you for this time to just to go back to basics. And because the Bible is what it is, we hold it in a high and right place. And we thank you that we have a foundation that we can build our life upon. We, th- we thank you that we have a rock in a crazy uh, bay of raging seas that we can hold an anchor to and go back to. And so, God, I just ask, discipline isn't enough sometimes. Will you just give us a hunger for your word? Will you give us a thirst to know you through the Bible? Will you give us a a want to that maybe we don't have right now that would help us to dive into this book deeper in 2019 and as a result get closer to you? Will you help that to happen? We submit ourselves to you. We open our hearts to you and ask that you have your way with us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we continue worship.